1: Hello there. That's, uh, that's a meme, I think. Welcome to Magellan's at the Movies. Uh, I'm your co-host, Elliot Magalianz. I'm here with Nathan Magalhães, uh another co-host. Today we're going to be talking about... Uh, we're going to be running through all the big reveals from, from the Disney uh, Marvel Showcase... Uh, We're going to be ranking the Avengers in terms of their attractiveness and their muscle mass and who we think would make the best uh, uh, life partner. Basically, Magellan's at the movies is selling out and thereby cashing in.
0: Uh, I was actually going to suggest this is another way we could sell out. I was saying maybe we should stop we should change our naming convention instead of naming it the name of the movie to like clickbait titles. So maybe you won't believe what these two people found in David Fincher's seven, or you won't believe what nineties movie the Magellans are reviewing, va- reviewing now. Something <laughs> like that. The recommendation
1: will surprise you.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh shoot. We didn't, we didn't talk about recommendations beforehand. So hopefully we didn't take the same one, but Either way, either way, we're very excited to have everyone. That's enough of banter. That was some nice, good-hearted banter from us. We're just comedic legends. Uh, Today, we're talking about Seven. Ellie got to choose the movie, so once again, we're in depressing territory. But at least this time, it's a bit more mainstream. At (laughs) At least it's something people have seen before. Maybe. Seven... Iconic film, one of the most iconic movies from the 90s, I would say. David Fincher's, I think some people would consider his best movie. Other people might consider uh, Fight Club, his other movie from the 90s, to be his best. But this is an iconic serial killer film. Really influential in terms of movies about serial killers and just movies in general. It's Elliot... I think you've mentioned before on the podcast it's one of your favorites. This is the first time I watched this in a while. In fact, I think I've only seen parts of it since I first watched it 5 or 6 years ago. So, I was really excited to do this episode, Elliot, I'm sure you were too. Let's dive into it. Let's let's talk about the movie, you know? Elliot 7. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh yeah, I really I really enjoy Seven. It's not one of my favorite movies. It's probably my favorite uh, Fincher movie. Fincher's sort of an acquired taste. You have to go into his movies with a certain mindset because they're all fairly grim, uh, uh, a bit bit on the darker side. But I, I'm you know what can i say I, i'm a bit of a sociopath and I, i'm really buying what he's selling uh, and i think that se, se- 7 then as it's ca- colloqu- colloquially known is sort of like fincher's apotheosis i'm not 100% sure if i'm using that word right but it's like yeah you're not you're no help it's like yeah, closer that's closer than i would have gotten i'm sure it's like his uh, the movie that best sums him up as a director, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's a showcase for all of his all of his biggest strengths. So, uh, for one thing, it's really well shot. Uh, David Fincher has, I don't know, a very distinctive visual style that incorporates not just the camera work, but also the lighting. I feel like Fincher's movies are lit in a very distinctive way. Usually it's kind of a sickly yellow. The lights all have this kind of diseased look to it uh, when it's not just shrouded in darkness and stuff. But uh, also just a really engaging, gripping story. I mean... This is one of my favorite detective stories. And I do think that there's a difference between a detective story and a mystery. Because a mystery sort of implies there's a level of audience participation in it. Or there's a sense that people can figure out clues on their own. Like there's a possibility for you to guess the twists or the culprits uh, before the movie actually reveals them. With detective stories, they're a lot more procedural, so it's less about complex plots with lots of disparate threads that you can sort of link together and come to your own conclusions, and you know, see if the movie bears them out. Detective stories are, or at least detective stories like this, are like I said, procedurals. They're about the procedure, the more mundane type of police work of interviewing witnesses and looking over crime scenes and stuff. And I think that it, that approach works really well for this movie's kind of, well, kind of mundane, not necessarily mundane. It's hard hard to figure out the right words for it, but it's not nearly as bombastic or grandiose as its premise might suggest. The most, Outlandish parts of it are definitely the killings, but even those, you never actually see them. They're always uh, just sort of pieced over in crime scenes. A lot of them, you don't even get a great look at the actual carnage. Uh, It's remarkably restrained for the type of movie that it is. But I think it's really effective for its aesthetic and its themes, which... Uh, I'm sure we'll get to, but I think that's that that works as sort of a an overview of what I think about both Fincher and this movie.
0: Yeah, uh I would just say this is a story that I think is really incredible is so this was essentially Fincher's first movie. He made Alien Three before this, but there was so much studio interference. And he just had such an awful time with it. And the movie came out and was just absolutely destroyed by critics. And one of the people, one of the heads of the company felt so bad about how Fincher was treated over the course of Alien 3 that they basically came to him and was like, look, you seem really talented. You seem like you're a good guy. Make, a mo- like, make another movie. Make, show us what you can actually do when we're not fiddling around. And he made this. So if this wasn't good, we don't get Fincher. But it's, like you said, it's such a testament to everything that he would then go on to prove with his later movies, both stylistically and narratively, that he is, I think, one of the best working directors, one of the best modern directors. And... Yeah, this is one of the, this is another example of this. I'm going to kind of blaze through some of the technical stuff just because I think the most interesting part of this movie for me and the stuff that I wrote the most notes about are Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt's detectives and kind of the ethos of this entire world that Fincher constructs. So I'm just going to real quick hit. I thought the soundtrack was really good. It was Howard Shore, who's probably best known for his stuff that he does with Lord of the Rings a bit later in this decade. But I thought the score was amazing. Like, Elliot, you said last week, it's not a score I would probably listen to since a lot of it is very dissonant and, you know, creepy. But it's a score that really, really works with the movie and works with setting the mood of so many of these scenes. Uh, like you said, the cinematography in Fincher movies is fairly iconic. The lighting—I see a lot of people complain about the lighting being too dark. Um, turn up the brightness on your TV, I guess. I don't know. I didn't have an issue, so it's, I think it's a lot of old women trying to watch it who really, you know, they already can't see very well. They're using bivocals or something. <laughs> and then the set—the de- set design on all of the murders is just stupidly good. I love all of. Like, the little detail of having, like, thousands of air fresheners in the room where the guy who was killed via sloth, I think, was his sin. That just, in order to cancel out the smell, he had a billion of these car air fresheners hanging everywhere. I thought that was, that's a really sweet detail. And really, all of the rooms where they find a murder, it's, the set design is just crazy good. But I think the most interesting part of the movie and part that I want to talk about the most is Mills and Somerset and John Doe and what each of them represent in terms of the city and society.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's the other thing I was going to talk about is how much I love the characters in this movie. Uh, I really like when uh, Somerset isn't Morgan Freeman Somerset. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I really like when Somerset says there must be a detective like me on every police force uh, in the country. I'm the guy who's on one last case before he retires. Uh, That's legendary. Yeah, in all seriousness, one of the things that I really appreciated about this movie on this uh, viewing is how moments of characterization are done really subtly. I feel like in a lot of movies the scenes where characters sort of reveal their inner motives or outlooks are kind of announced, or they're very, they can be sometimes overplayed, like there's uh, really, really profound, soft music playing, or they'll, they'll look off into the distance and sort of monologue. But in this movie, it comes a lot more it just comes out of a lot more believable moments. So like the moment I'm thinking about is, I I think it's after the lust victim when Mills and Somerset visit a bar and they just sort of, and Mills like calls Somerset out basically and says that uh, all this nihilistic uh, mumbo jumbo that you're constantly grumbling about, that's just a front for you. That's just you know, how you sort of defend against the, the I don't know, the fear that you have of, of walking away from the job and of leaving all of this behind. And then Somerset, like, kind of throws it back at him and talks about how Mills is, like, Mills' idealism is blinding, although it's obviously... It's obviously put a lot more eloquently than, than that, but it, it really it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it was written. If that makes any sense, like it do, it genuinely has the tone and the pace and the vernacular of two guys having a beer after work. It just so happens that they their work is particularly grim or was particularly grim that day, which has brought out their differing personalities which is another thing that i think really works the movie's benefit is the whole depressed older character and idealistic younger character which is a dynamic that i said last week is one that i'm quite fond of is done to really really good effect here Uh, part of that is from the writing and part of that is from great performances from morgan freeman and brad pitt accepting the last bit that I know it's iconic, him yelling about what's in the box, but it is his delivery is so weird. I've never understood why he plays it like he's just really annoyed rather than really scared or devastated. It's it's very strange. But aside from that, it's all great stuff where the characters are concerned.
0: And I, I would just say it's I was looking to see what Oscars seven was nominated for and it wasn't nominated for anything except editing, which I think is just crazy when you think about all of the elements of this movie that are so good and that have aged so well, that so much of Somerset's nihilism continues to be very relevant and resonant to people, you know, Almost 30 years later, that when he's talking about apathy and how he just is so depressed because he walks around and he sees people not really caring about the things they need to care about, I I feel the same. I don't feel the exact same way, but like I've thought that in my head before where I'm like, dang, we really are valuing things that don't necessarily need to be valued or shouldn't maybe be valued as much as society is valuing them. And then I love both of the characters. I think I would definitely agree that a lot of the characterization comes through very story-based things. You have the very obvious one where Somerset goes and reads Divine Comedy and Canterbury Tales and Aquinas to try and get inside the head of the killer. And Mills is just looking at evidence from the scene and he's very much just focused on the murder as an event whereas somerset is thinking of a wider picture of right religion and all of these other factors that both of the characters come from such an interesting place and the movie builds up both of them both mills's idealism and somerset's nihilism and it builds it up so fantastically that i think this is one of those endings that as soon as you know what the final as soon as you figure out what's in the box i think a lot of people could guess what's going to happen that they're like yeah he's going to shoot him like even though it's wrong even though it's right murder he's going to do it because it's set up so clearly what both of these characters are about that you know it's amazing it's like i love the ending of spoilers to Watchmen here, if you haven't read the comic book, but I love the ending of Watchmen for a similar reason that it builds up the ideologies of each of the characters. So when the final moral question is raised, you know exactly what each character is about to do because it set it up so phenomenally and that's not always true. And so I'm a huge fan of this movie for doing that and Yeah, I thought this was even more interesting the first time I saw it, because I'm smarter now, so I'm even more able to see what he's doing with each of these characters.
1: Wow, that's, uh, and humble, too. (laughs) What? Never mind.
0: I just said I'm smarter, you know? I'm not saying I'm a genius.
1: (laughs) All right, just whatever. All right, smart guy, just be quiet for a minute now. (laughs) Uh, no I, I I really agree with you and I think another thing is that Somerset's nihilism which honestly I'm not even sure I would call it nihilism more like just depression discouragement uh, but it's it's very um it's a very believable portrait of that kind of person it doesn't come off as somebody who's really bitter or somebody who's just trying to be edgy like, Morgan Freeman really infuses his performance with a weariness and a heaviness that I think speaks even more to the history of this character than any kind of, like, expository monologue about the things that he's done and seen ever could. So, I, I now I want to talk about the antagonist, John Doe. Who I think is a bit difficult to parse out. On the one hand, I think it's he's a, he's an effective villain. Uh, he's a, properly intimidating. Uh, I think that he has a really good presence throughout the movie, even though it, he takes a while to show up. Uh, it does a good job of building him up and ensuring that he he is felt. Throughout the whole movie, even though he's not actually a character until the uh, the third act, Kevin Spacey is Kevin Spacey. I don't really want to give him any compliments or anything, but uh, you can so give me some
0: compliments.
1: Uh, nope, nope, Nathan, we're just gonna just gonna walk on by. We're just gonna acknowledge that Kevin Spacey exists in this movie, and that is unfortunate. My problem is that. So like you said that Somerset uh, reads all those books to sort of get into his head, which I agree, and I think that's a really good moment of characterization for Somerset, but I don't think that we, the audience, ever really get into his head. Like, we don't get a really good grasp of his motivation or anything, which is partially understandable because he's meant to be sort of a Joker-esque character who doesn't really have any history, but also... His motivation, I mean, we get a sort of sense of it in the police car when he talks about hating how uh, how sin has just sort of become the norm of modern life. Uh, and that's a really effective way of sort of demonstrating him to be like an inversion of Somerset, who has kind of the same outlook on life. The problem is... That tells us more about Somerset's character, I think, than it does about John Doe. Because he doesn't really go any further than just, I don't like sin. And it's unclear what he thinks that this is going to accomplish. Like, is he trying to set himself up as some kind of boogeyman that people will, that parents will use to frighten their children into going to Sunday school or something? I don't know. It's... It's weird. It's not necessarily bad, but it's not to the level of the other characters, I think. But, you know, uh, I'm interested to hear what you think about John Doe as a character and as a as a villain.
0: Uh, I think as a villain, he's pretty good. I'll give compliments to Kevin Spacey, whatever. He's a dirtbag, but he's a very good actor. <laughs> I think as a villain, I definitely agree. His presence is very much felt, even when he's not... There, even though he doesn't show up until the very end. I do think there's elements of, especially the police car ride out of the city to where the box is going to be, where it does feel like it goes for longer than maybe Fincher or whoever wrote it was able to keep a coherent idea that it seems like sometimes John Doe is contradicting himself over the course of the conversation that he's you know he feels so horribly about sin and yet he did all of these horrific acts to other people that even though he's saying stuff like you know why should I act like they're people if they're you know doing all this stuff but I got the sense that he was kind of doing it to make people think about it right to maybe shake them out of their apathy to be like oh look at this horrific thing that happened and here was like the ideology behind it that the guy was doing it because of sin so he was trying to get people to think like oh what sins am i doing that someone would some serial killer would murder me for which is some wacky you know serial killer mentality but it's like couldn't you not couldn't you have done that with the people you were murdering it feels to be like a contradiction. And again, he's clearly mentally not all the – he's clearly someone insane. So it's hard to get it. I wrote down – I thought it was really fantastic. The John Doe's – we tolerate it like you said, that he's an inversion of Somerset. But I think it's it's almost closer than that, that it's literally just both of them – coming to the same realization of how horrible the world is and how horrible humanity is and their solution to that problem. Somerset's in a lot of ways is like more apathy that he's like, there's nothing I can do about it. So it's kind of just, I'm going to do whatever small things I can do to make it better. Whereas John Doe, he goes to like an extreme of i can fix all of it i can do something so that people won't be apathetic and it's weird because the movie does put like brad pitt's idealism is clearly shown in a negative light the movie puts a lot of pot things that we would usually attribute positive things to in a negative way that Brad Pitt is not good because he's idealistic. He's bad. It hurts him in the end that he was not able to face the facts of, right, how, what humans are capable of. And John Doe's desire to save other people in some way is also bad because of obviously the way he goes about it. But Somerset being the only person who survives in a sense, the story he is framed as the best. So the movie is almost saying like, you gotta be a bit of a cynical, you know, you gotta be a bit of a cynic to get through, which I think is an interesting mission statement or an interesting idea for a movie to leave someone with.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, it's really, I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, The one thing that really, what your little speech there reminded me of is the opening to no Country for Old Men, when Sheriff Bell uh, is talking about how he doesn't really want to like, lean in or face directly into the crime that he's about to relate, even though he's not actually a narrator or anything. But uh, the line is, a man would have to put his soul at hazard. He would have to say, okay, I'll be part of this world. And basically the, the point is that there has to be some sort of acknowledgement of the realities of the world, which, in the <clears throat> in the views of No Country for Old Men and The Seven, then are fairly bleak realities. What are you laughing about?
0: I just your insistence of he does this all the time. By the way, he I don't think I've heard him refer to Seven as Seven for a very long time he always religiously refers to it as seven ben.
1: Well that is the name as it is written Just saying. so I'm just being true to the English uh, <laughs> alphabet.
0: To Fincher's vision. yeah, he wanted you to pronounce it like that.
1: Okay anyway I'm I'm closing this impromptu uh, additional section of banter. What the heck was I talking about? Yeah, that cynicism is sort of a given if you're going to be a realist about where where the world is. Although I I don't think that uh, seven goes (laughs) nearly as far down the line towards nihilism in the end as No Country for Old Men does. Um, but I think that I think that the ending is really sort of not necessarily inspiring, but it's very impactful in that light that Morgan Freeman or Somerset, whatever, you know who I'm talking about. Somerset sort of realizes that he's been apathetic as well, that he's just as guilty of apathy as everyone else and that he can't walk away from the reality of the world. uh, But he doesn't have to sort of surrender to nihilism i i mean i think that the last line of the movie perfectly sums it up when he quotes hemingway as saying the world is a fine place and worth fighting for i agree with the second part i think that's uh that's really that's really good stuff and it just goes to show you it just cements somerset as a really really strong character i think And then the other thing I want to talk about to go back to the point about John Doe is that I agree that John Doe is contradicting himself in the police car, but it's unclear how much of that is intentional, how much of that is supposed to be a kind of subtle moment of characterization for him, that the movie is revealing the sort of holes in his logic, or if that's just, you know, a a lapse in writing judgment, which is sort of the... Mm -hmm which is sort of the risk that a movie runs when it decides to do most of its character work in subtext or in interpretive kind of monologues like that, rather than just stating outright, this is me. This is what this character, this is what this character believes. This is the, this is the problem with that. So I'm inclined to trust Fincher or the writer. I'm sorry. I don't know who the writer is. I'd love to give you, uh, credit I can Andrew. see in the reflection of Nathan's glasses he's looking it up.
0: Andrew Kevin Walker.
1: Right? Andrew he's Kevin said. Walker. Uh, all credit to Mr. Walker. Good job, and good job, Andy. Yeah, I'm inclined to trust Mr. Walker that uh, he didn't, you know, just sort of fumble it at the whatever yard line. I don't know. Gosh, I should not have tried for a sports metaphor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> should have gone for a sports metaphor. Famously sport, famous sport hater, Elliot Magellan.
1: <laughs> Elliot yeah, Lodgoyne's yeah, here. Yeah, I am not, or, I am not Ernest one The one yard line, yeah. sure. All right, whatever. Doesn't matter. But uh it's still, you know, even in light of that, I think that the movie would have benefited a little bit more from get it, giving us a bit more of an insight into John Doe's character just for the purpose of giving us more insight into John Doe's character rather than sort of using him more as a device to reveal more about Mills and Somerset's characters. Although that's a that's obviously a very minor nitpick.
0: Speaking of nitpicks though, let's talk, so we always try and look for maybe some negative reviews or some naysayers. Uh, for this one, it's a lot of people who think it's too dark and too edgy. Some people saying literally too dark. Some people saying, some people, our mother, saying it's uh, <laughs> narratively or thematically too dark. What do you think? I mean, I can give my thought. I I don't think that really holds. I think there's parts of it that are maybe a little edgy. The credit sequence at the beginning is ridiculously edgy and edited like a My Chemical Romance music video, which makes sense because Fincher did music videos before he did movies. But I think there are some moments of this where someone says something and it really rides a line between being poetic and something an emo goth teen would write in their journal. For instance, when the doctor says, about the sloth person that he's endured more pain and suffering than he could imagine a human enduring. And he still has hell to look forward to. I was like, okay, we don't need this doctor editorializing. Her. Yeah.
1: How's that for professionalism?
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> a person. Um, so I think, I think there's some moments where the movie is maybe a little edgy in terms of being too dark. I don't think the movie is ever, dark to its own detriment. Like you said, the movie is very restrained in terms of showing the gore of the killings. It a lot of times puts people in front of them so you can't see it very clearly. It's, I think it really only shows you the full scope of one of the deaths. Maybe with the the very last one, which is the woman in the bed whose face has been cut off. But even then, it's really just showing you it doesn't show it in like gory detail. And especially in contrast to my least favorite David Fincher film, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, which I feel is just aggressively Elliot doesn't like it either is just aggressively dark to very little purpose when it could be a bit more reserved like this movie, that this movie doesn't need to show you all of the gory details of these dead people in order to communicate the idea that these are horrific crimes being committed by a very disturbed person. But what do you, do you think it's dark? Do you think it's edgy? Do you think it's bad that it's either of those things?
1: Uh, Well, I do think that it's dark. I don't know about edgy. I feel like with edgy, there's sort of a connotation of immaturity or Mm. like, Uh, you know, gratuity. Maybe that's a better word for it. Uh, Or at least that's, maybe it would be more accurate to say that's usually what my assessment of edgy content is. Like, for example, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which you are correct. I do not like. Uh, The way I described it, uh, just I think when you were over here a few days ago, is that it felt like it was written by some sort of emo middle schooler who was just trying to shock people for the sake of shocking people and was just throwing in increasingly unpleasant scenes and acts, uh, none of which I will elucidate here or enumerate here. I think that on the subject of darkness, I agree that it is restrained. Obviously I agree because that's what I said. I think that it is probably not Fincher's darkest movie. That might be Gone Girl? I don't know. I think yeah, if somebody
0: Gone girl or girl with a dragon tattoo, one of the two.
1: Okay. Well, I just don't want to talk about Girl with a Dragon Tattoo.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Gone Girl. Yeah, it's Gone Girl.
1: Okay, yeah. <laughs> there, there's no Fincher doesn't really have any other movies centered around girls. I, I think that's that's the only one. Yeah. Um, I think that if somebody does find this too dark, that's a perfectly valid reason for them to dislike the movie. I mean, different people are going to have different opinions on what is uh, and is not palatable to them. So like uh, I don't think that there's any way to say that this is objectively too dark but I also don't think that there's any way to say to our mother like this is objectively appropriate or whatever. I mean it's obviously not appropriate for certain audiences but it maybe it's not appropriate for her but i think that's perfectly valid she just wants to watch what she wants to watch and my mantra for every time this comes up is you should watch what you want to watch so yeah i i don't think it's too dark i think that it's it is dark but i i don't hate that in a movie uh, if you were to if i were to go through my top 5 movies it would probably be implied that I actually prefer a bit of darkness in my movies. Um, But yeah, I think that just what what distinguishes this from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is that there's an actual, um, you said, like, ethos. Isn't that the word? There's an actual, like, driving force behind it. Whereas in that other movie that we've agreed not to talk about, uh, the movie that must not be named... It is just so gratuitous and so annoying, and I was so very disappointed with Fincher by the end of it. Uh, One one more thing I'll say on this is that I actually think that Somerset's quote-unquote edginess uh, actually leads to some of the best moments of levity in the movie when uh, Mills is just sort of tired of listening to him. Uh, One of my favorite moments is when Somerset is talking about how rare it is for murder cases to be solved uh, or how rare it is for them to reach court. And he's like, we're just wandering around on a desert island picking up diamonds in case we get rescued. <laughs> and Mills just, like, rolls his eyes and heaves this great big sigh and, like, sits back in his chair. It's it's really good. And I, I think that those moments of levity, sort of like your average horror comedy are really important for a movie like this to get it from to prevent it from getting too uh you know dour or too oppressive
0: well and i think it also goes to show you that while somerset is a nihilist he very much believes in a hope for a future that he's not so much woe is me that he doesn't believe in anything because when he has the conversation with tracy about how she's pregnant he says he's like you don't have to have the kid but if you have the kid spoil the kid which i think is such a fantastic characterization that even though he believes in all of these things about humans that they're so apathetic that they're so casually evil that all of this stuff he's still giving advice where he's like you want to put in effort to make something better which is then reflected again in the final line of the movie that he's like, it's, it might not be good, but that doesn't mean you should just shrug and give up, which I think is a very powerful statement. And, you know, obviously it's very resonant. A lot of people can feel that, that you don't have to just be like, Oh, everything sucks. I don't know. I'm shrugging. If you can't, as you can't see, cause you're listening. But, um,
1: listeners, he's lying. He's not shrugging.
0: No, I am shrugging. I would never lie to the listeners, Elliot.
1: (laughs) He's not... not, Now he's giving you the finger. (laughs) Wow, Nathan, you're being really rude to our listening public.
0: Okay, okay. All right. Back to the movie. Back to the movie. (laughs) I was just going to ask one more question, and then we could get to final thoughts, or you could ask some questions or anything. But um, this movie seems to be against the system that there's moments such as when they have to go to the FBI, they bribe the FBI guy to give them the library card information there at the end when they're meeting with the lawyer and the lawyer's like, you have to do this. Otherwise he's going to plead insanity that there's a sense in which the movie or at least Mills and Somerset are anti uh, the system, or they feel as though the system is hindering their ability as police. Do you, do you see that? Do you feel like that's a, (laughs) uh, An element of the film. He's, he's shaking his head, so he. Just, I don't think he does.
1: No, it, it's just this is all reminding me of that uh, that stupid song that was like an SNL skit. Uh, threw it on the ground. The, like last, the last lyric is the moral of the story is you can't trust the system. Um. Gosh. Uh, no, I don't I don't think that the moral of the story is you can't trust the system. I didn't really get that from this movie. I feel like those I feel like those plot points were just sort of incidental to getting the action where it needed to go. So like the they just the writer, uh, Mr. Walker, envisioned a climax centered around these three characters. Uh, so now Nathan has actually completely walked away from the computer.
0: <laughs> I had to turn on the light, okay? It was, dark.
1: <laughs> it was getting pretty dark. Uh, we're, we're really letting people get a glimpse behind the curtain of what happens.
0: Yeah, we're, depending on how much of this makes the final cut, of course.
1: that's That's true. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that it's just that was just a way to get these three characters alone together and sort of bring it all to a head. I don't really think it's against the system uh, as in like the justice system or the, the system of society or whatever. I don't think it's saying uh, we live in a society, although we do, in case anyone was wondering. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really I don't really get that from this movie.
0: Okay. Well, I was just—I just—I noticed it when they did the FBI thing, and then later when, because Mills gets upset when the guy is saying he's going to plead insanity, and Mills gets kind of peeved. Well, and even when they get to the guy's uh, apartment, Somerset is like, "We can't go in without a search warrant," and, and then Mills breaks down the door and then bribes some homeless guy who barely remembers the story to get in the way so i just i noticed those three elements and was like eh, i wonder if it's trying to say something but i agree i don't think it's a huge thing and i certainly don't think it's trying to say anything deeper about police or detective work but uh do you have any final thoughts any uh, lingering questions i'm really smart i said earlier i'm really smart so i get this movie so if you're trying right. to get some more elucidation i'm here
1: Right, I don't think you're using that word correctly, but whatever. Um, no, I think that uh, if the movie is saying, if the movie is using those moments to say that the system is bad, then those moments relate to like civil rights and stuff. So I'm not sure I would be on board with that message, uh, but whatever. No, I don't. I think that we've uh, we've covered everything that I want to talk about pretty nicely. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow does really well in a fairly small role. I think that even she gets uh, moments of good characterization. Uh, Obviously, I'm thinking about the scene where she has breakfast with uh, Somerset. Um, I really like seeing... Oh, gosh. I think his name is Lee Harvey Ermey, uh, the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. He plays the police chief in this movie and I, I really like when he says to John Doe uh, what is your major malfunction uh, that's that's great stuff uh, and a great reference to uh, a great Kubrick film but yeah that's that's pretty much all I got
0: all right well let's uh let's dive into ratings I didn't get to talk about my negatives too much but like I said there's just some moments where the movie is I think treading a line between edgy and poetic and so the moments when it oversteps i kind of roll my eyes i'm like all right calm down mr walker you know that's fine and i do think the credit sequence is bizarrely edgy for the movie and even the fact that at the end the credits roll up instead or down instead of up i think is such an unnecessary thing that's it just feels a little goofy and it feels Maybe you feel it's wrong to critique a movie for its cr- the way its credits going up, but it's just a testament to how good the rest of the stuff in this movie is that I can nitpick, kind of like this. But yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I honestly enjoyed it more than I was expecting to. I was very happy that I enjoyed it as much as I did because I hadn't seen it in so long, and I had kind of fond memories of watching it. I remember enjoying it, so... It's always nice when you rewatch a movie and it's just as good as you remember it. And in this case, uh, I thought it was even a bit better. But yeah, I was a big fan. I'd say the movie is an 8.8 out of 10 for me. I think it's a very, very good movie. I'd recommend it to anyone. It's a lot better than... Here's my hot take. Incoming, a lot better than Fincher's other 90s movie, Fight Club. Elliot, what's your rating? (laughs)
1: Well, first of all, I don't think I would recommend this movie to anyone. I can already think of some people who I would not recommend it to.
0: I'd recommend it to some people, okay? Jeepers.
1: All right, whatever. Uh, Yeah, this is a fantastic movie. It's my favorite movie from one of my favorite directors. I think it's got some of probably Fincher's best characters or mr. Walker's best characters uh, credit where it's due uh, yeah it's really good it's got my favorite type of ending the sort of bittersweet ending I mean it it's probably more bitter than it is sweet but it leaves the door open for uh, for hope or at least a way forward and uh, yeah I mean I I'm not 100% sold on John Doe as a character. But still, this is just a fantastic movie that I would recommend to a certain sect of people who are <laughs> who are down for the who are down for the kind of thing that Fincher's uh, selling. And uh, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it an A.
0: Could have could have predicted that. You're so predictable.
1: Yeah, great job.
0: All right, uh, Elliot. Why don't you? I know you just talked, but why don't you go first? Because uh, typically, I'm better at. Coming up with recommendations than you In terms of like Not better like I give better recommendations But better as in I come up with them Easier you seem to struggle with it Sometimes because you only watch like four movies But uh, Elliot what's your Recommendation for someone who Watched seven and did enjoy it As part of that certain sect
1: Right so I'm going to have to really dig deep Into my reservoir of the four movies That I've watched uh, Dang that's, that's going to be really hard <sighs> Um no uh I'm going to recommend the movie Prisoners. Mm. Is that what that's not what you were going to go with?
0: No, that wasn't no. Okay,
1: okay. well then, well well then, before you say it, I I want to guess because I I have a good guess as to what your recommendation is. Uh, but anyway, Prisoners I think is really good for anyone who likes this movie. So Prisoners is. Probably the darkest, bleakest movie I've ever seen. Uh, it's directed by Denis Villeneuve. You got you got the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Roger Deakins behind the camera. Hugh Jackman has a really good performance in this movie. Really playing against type, I think. Oh yeah. In this movie, I mean, even when he's been in more antagonistic roles, I don't think he's ever really had a role like this. Jake Gyllenhaal is reliably creepy. <laughs> so is Paul Dano. Yeah, but uh,
0: Paul Dano.
1: <laughs> Paul Dano. But it's it's the story. The basic story is this: father, uh, this man gets uh, his his daughter, and the daughter of one of his family friends is kidnapped, and so it's about him trying to. I don't want to give too much away using dubious methods to try to figure out where they're at. Uh, and that story sort of runs parallel to Jake Gyllenhaal's story. who plays a detective who's using a bit more palatable, uh, methods of investigation. (laughs) But, uh, I think that just like S7 then that's right. It's back, baby. (laughs) Nathan rolled his eyes. Prisoners is a detective story, so it's not really a mystery. Uh, It's more of a procedural detective story. It's got really interesting, complex characters. It's got probably one of the more difficult moral dilemmas in a movie that I've had to parse out. Not See, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it. Not necessarily because... Hugh Jackman's character is doing anything good because he absolutely isn't, but it's so easy to understand what he's doing with the information that he has and with the sort of desperation that, the sort of desperate place that he's in. So a lot like, uh, the last of us part two, it's a story about, uh, you know, the, or wait, no. More like The Last of Us Part One. It's a story about the kinds of terrible things that love can drive a person to do. Um, so yeah, just just to be clear, I absolutely do not endorse anything Hugh Jackman does in this movie. But I think that it's it does such a fantastic job of making sure that every character has an understandable motivation, and like it's hard to just out and out condemn any of them as purely evil except for, you know, one or two, but, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic movie sort of against type for Villeneuve as well, at least, uh, in his more recent output that has trended more heavily towards science fiction. But, uh, yeah, I think that if you liked then, this is a great pick. Uh, and I think that if you like Denis Villeneuve as a director, I think that this is a, a great movie to, to go with.
0: Yeah, Denis Villeneuve, who directed the newest Blade Runner and Dune movies, and Arrival, not, and Arrival. Yes, if you're not offhandly familiar with iconic Canadian directors, <laughs> Elliot. So before I give my recommendation, do you want to guess what? What do you think?
1: I, I do want to I guess. Think. Is it? Is it Memories of Murder?
0: I knew you were going to guess that. I did. That was my first. That was my first one, but I decided it was too mainstream. You should Memories watch Memories of Murder if you want to.
1: <laughs> yeah. Memories well, of Murder mainstream. Actual one is mainstream.
0: <laughs> it's too mainstream. Memories of Murder is a very good movie. It's on Hulu. You should watch it. It's very good. Uh, no, yeah, I not. decided to recommend M. What?
1: I said, no, it's not. Memories of Murder what? is not a good movie.
0: Okay, whatever. This was the other reason I didn't want to recommend it, is because Elliot doesn't like it, so I didn't want him (laughs) giving gipping in the background while I'm trying to recommend a movie I enjoy. Oh, he's flipping me off now. (laughs) He's lying. I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, uh, the movie I was going to recommend is M by Fritz Lang. So this is a very old movie. I want to say it's from 1938, maybe, something like that. It's uh, by a German director. It's about a serial killer who's killing children in this city, this German city, and basically it follows, instead of following detectives, it follows Kind of the society as a whole and what they try to do in order to capture and discover who this serial killer is. It's a really fantastic movie. The opening is so Fincher and modern. I'm amazed it was made in the 1930s. There's so many elements of it that I think are incredibly resonant today, just in terms of society and society's inability to think critically through situations as soon as a mob is formed or as soon as a large collection of people are together, that the thinking uh, and quality of thinking actually goes down as you involve more people in it, in sort of the mentality. And I think it's a really fascinating movie just in terms of historically, when it was made that Fritz Lang was kind of watching the Nazis come to power and consolidate power. And he very much made a movie addressing that and looking at that through his eyes and what he saw was uh, kind of driving so many of these elements that were in society at the time. But yeah, I just think it's fantastic. I think there's no way David Fincher hasn't seen M and there's no way it doesn't influence the movies he makes just because of the way It's edited, and the way this movie is done is so Fincher-esque. It's amazing that it was made almost 100 years ago. But, yeah, you should watch M. If you don't want to watch M, watch Memories of Murder, because it's also very good.
1: (laughs) Did you mention that that's a German movie and that Fritz Lang is a German Jew? Because I feel like that's important context.
0: He is Jewish, yeah. I mean, I didn't mention that he was a Jew, but...
1: All right. He's also
0: Jewish. Whatever. I didn't know that when I watched the movie, so I don't think everyone needs that extra context.
1: Regardless, uh, the the sun is going down. Things are... What? What? You did this like two weeks ago. You did this whole bit where you're like, the sun's getting real low. What are you talking about? I'm just saying that the sun is going down. All right, whatever. Continue, continue. I don't have anything else to say. The sun is going down. It's getting late. I have things to do. What, what do you want from me, for Pete's sake?
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, well, um, thank you for listening to another episode. Uh, we love doing this. I think this is the 15th episode. You know, We're so close to our goal of 250 episodes. We're well on our <laughs> way. <laughs> This is the first Elliot's hearing of this goal, but um, yeah, we hope you join us for next week uh, hey, with the Jones the, of the movie.
1: The, life is hard, and full of disappointments.
0: Oh, what? A, what? Huh?